0: Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.
1: Gee, it's great to really get someone to know them front and
0: back and inside out.
1: Welcome back to The Theatre Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. I'm your host, as always, Alan Seals, and... The music you just heard to open the episode is called Can I Ever Know You? from Hulu's new original music series called Up Here, which means that this episode continues the Up Here podcast takeover. This episode is with Steven Levinson, who in addition to being the screenwriter for the recent Tick Tick Boom movie and the Dear Evan Hansen movie, also wrote for Fosse Verdon and a slew of other things before serving as the screenwriter and one of the executive producers of Up Here. Up Here. And as with the previous episode, once you're done listening to this one, make sure to go listen to the entire Up Here soundtrack which is out now everywhere you stream your music. So again instead of the normal transition music, here is the song called Please Like Me. Here we go. La 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 la
0: la 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 la
1: la like me. Before you pass judgment upon me or unleash your temper on me and get and cry and curse Remember, I have an imagination That excels at fledgulation. If you sell it, I have bought it If you yell it, I have thought it Way, way worse Please Today we have a returning podcast guest. He is a Tony Award winning playwright, TV, and screenwriter who famously won his Tony Award for the book of Dear Evan Hansen. He has written for Masters of Sex, Fosse Verdon, Dear Evan Hansen, the movie and the musical, Tick, Tick, Boom, and has... Now adapted Kristen Anderson, Lopez and Bobby Lopez, a stage musical up here for the screen, which is now streaming on Hulu. We will call this episode part two because part one was episode 175. Make sure to go back and check it out. Steven Levinson, welcome back to the theater podcast.
0: Oh, thank you. I love a sequel. Uh, so <laughs> happy to be here.
1: It's, it's really interesting. We were just talking about this um, off air. So to prep for part two here, I was going back and listening to part one, episode 175. Go back and check it out, everybody. And you had mentioned the timeline in in there. Uh, uh, when we were talking about Tick, Tick, Boom, I was like, so when did you get involved with it? And you are like, oh, I first heard about it in 2017. And then like 2018, we were doing all that stuff. But that means that Without being able to tell me at the time, you must have already been working on Up Here at that point in time, right? So you were working on Dear Evan Hansen and Tick Tick Boom and Up Here?
0: Yeah, there was a crazy confluence of, of uh, screen musicals, um, particularly over the, um, the wonderful year of 2020, as people remember, um, which was, uh, I guess, yeah, in, in 2020, Tick Tick Boom, uh, was on hiatus we'd started filming and then had to had to shut down because of the uh, pandemic right um, the Dear Evan Hansen movie was not yet I guess we were we, it was still being written and like trying to figure out if it was going to film or not in the fall and then that summer I started talking to Kristen and Bobby and Tommy Kale um, the director uh, about up here Um, and then Tommy, Tommy
1: the director, like, we don't know who Tommy Yeah, that guy, that guy who did that thing. That
0: that (laughs) Tommy. Um, and, uh, it all kind of came around that same time, um, which was a weird, I mean, now that I think about it, it made a lot of sense. A a lot of the, the, the impetus for this project was, um, you know, Kristen and Bobby had written this show up here. They began writing it a long time ago, many, many years ago.
1: Because it was a stage
0: musical. I'm sorry.
1: It was a stage musical that they put on in 2015.
0: Yes. No. And they, I think they have been developing that stage musical since like 2004, 2003, even like a long time. And when 2023 rolled around or this, the summer spring, summer of 2020, rather, um, they, uh, Tommy had called them and, and asked if there was anything that they had been thinking about developing for TV. And this was a moment where he sort of didn't know when theater would come back if theater would come back. It was such a terrifying moment and up here was this project they'd always loved and they'd spent many years on and 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 they were interested to see again in this moment where it seemed like when are we ever going to get back on stage Is this a medium where we could continue to explore this story
1: so the i actually I talked with Bobby and Kristen already who um the i guess we'll call them a little birdie a little birdie told me you were acting as showrunner for up here so which you know is no is no small feat in and of itself um but it's interesting that uh you they turned it into a tv a tv thing because you didn't know if theater was gonna come back well
0: i mean that was part of the you know i think they had been excited for a long time about the possibility of of especially streaming which still feels weirdly like a sort of a new medium and one that we're still figuring out, like what is the difference between that and television? And it feels like there actually is a difference. And they were excited. Obviously, they've they've done everything else there is to do um, in the world pretty successfully. Um, so I guess mm-hmm. they figured like, well, why not try, a, you know, a streaming musical for uh, for television? What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE. Well,
1: so what is it? It's it's um, there's four executive producers on this project, you being one of them, them being uh, two of the others. And then who's the fourth one? Then
0: well, so then when they reached out and we started talking about this, we quickly decided we should find a writer who actually knew how to make a 30-minute television show, which none of us have done. <laughs> um, I'd written, like, hour-long dramas and um, felt really comfortable in that space. But this felt like um, this felt like it wanted to be uh, a 30-minute comedy. And and I just really did not know how to do that. And so we brought on Danielle Sanchez-Witzel, who's an incredible writer and producer in her own right. Uh, she did The Carmichael Show. Um, and she's somebody who, you know, we just really admired her work in television and then... We started talking to her and she's a huge musical theater fan. Um, she knows Rent is an ideal. Well, that's the, that's the truth. But so she was super excited to to get to be part of telling this kind of story. Um, it was kind of like a dream come true for her. And for us, it was just so incredible to get her her knowledge and her expertise and her voice and vision. Um, and so really like throughout much of the story of the pandemic for me was was Zoom calls with Danielle and Bobby and Kristen and um, occasionally Tommy, like hashing this thing out uh, and trying to figure out, it sounded easy at first, you know, it was like, we'll just turn this into an eight episode musical series. And then it was like, oh wait, what does that mean exactly? Um, so it took it took a little while.
1: Why did you decide to not do a full-length movie again, to do like a uh, a Dear Evan Hansen movie-esque thing or a Tick, Tick, Boom movie-esque thing. Because you had those two. So it seems like, yeah, this is in my wheelhouse.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think there was something really exciting about this concept and this premise, you know, voices in people's heads um, and imagining two characters dealing with those voices over time, which is something you can really only do in, in the longer form of of tv you know and it felt like this was a story that could benefit from that longer form storytelling um and felt uh like a challenge that none of us had really done you know i think we all had some sense of how to turn a two-act musical into a three-act film i mean i make it sound like that would have been easy that would have been impossible too. um but but there was something really fun about the challenge of well what would it mean instead of doing what i think a lot of incredible musicals on TV have done, uh, which is sort of have, um, have, have, have TV shows with music. We wanted to see like, well, what happens if we, if we approach this as if it were a musical that we were dividing into eight parts um, and that each of those eight parts we then discovered would kind of serve as its own musical. That all felt like, oh, that's interesting and exciting and feels uh, like a fun challenge.
1: It it lends itself so well. I mean, it may be just because you work so hard, and all four of you are very deliberate about what the finished product is. But um, I've watched the screeners. I, I've seen. I've seen the. I've seen the, sh- the series, and it just it works so well. Everything's got you know little button at the at the end to like to carry you into the next <laughs> thing, and and, and it's. It's so interesting to me. I think the concept too of um, setting it in 1999, which is the the time before everyone had cell phones and uh, portable electronics that they carried around with them that were communication devices. Yeah, uh, <laughs> because yeah. It, it it allows. I think it allows you to. Um, uh, I, I was. I guess. Hold on. I'll back up again. Was it deliberate? to set it in 99, I guess, why was it deliberate to decide on 99, but did it help you in, in being able to, um, create more scenes where like, uh, Mae Whitman, her character has to, you know, stalk, uh, stalk in person outside of work because you can't just text someone or pick up a phone to call them all the time.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you know, the original concept of the stage musical was that it was set in 1999. So that was something that we, kind of borrowed from the show, but quickly decided, we had many, many conversations about this and why you have to be deliberate about these things. And we talked about why 1999 felt right to us. And and we did keep coming back to how different the world was in 1999 compared to now um, in terms of communication and in terms of the fact that we were telling a love story and love stories just don't work that way anymore. Uh, you can't just kind of, go to a bar and meet a stranger. It's not, it's not as easy. It's not as common. I mean, y- dating is much more deliberate now. You know, it's, it's a whole thing. You have your apps and you have, uh, by the time you actually meet someone, you know, a lot about them usually. Um, and if you're going to meet them, you can look them up online. You can figure out if you have mutual friends, you can stalk them that way. This is like, <laughs> how do you meet a stranger? You know, like I'm total stranger, which is what, you know, for those too young to remember, that's what you used to do, you know? You would meet someone and not know who they were, not know where they were from, not know how you were connected or, or not, um, and then have to, have to find out. And, you know, we also liked, there are certain things of that time period that just, you can't replicate now. Like for instance, in the second episode, we have this long phone call between the two of them. Um, that's like this long overnight phone call on a landline
1: that was a beautiful uh, scene. Oh, thank you. I just I love that. I love the way it was done. But
0: it's like for some reason cell phones don't lend themselves to that. Maybe it's because we have so many other gadgets and devices and screens, but like the kind of attention span it takes to be on the phone with someone all night long feels weirdly like a throwback. Um and <laughs> I'm say
1: it. took me back to, to high school when yes. I would when I would study, I would have it, study dates with this girl I had a crush on, and we would just quiz each other on biology terms for hours where we really were just using it as an excuse to hang out together.
0: Absolutely. And you had to, you know, pull the cord under your door and there's something so tactile about that. It felt like if we were going to do a love story about that was set today, it would have to be a love story that was really took into account what a changed world it is. And, and a world again, that is so much based around apps and screens. And, you know, like, I think a series like Fleischmann in Trouble, which I really loved, did a great job of capturing that world and the specificity of that world. And that just wasn't the world we wanted to explore.
1: Do you have a a preference now of... Well, I, I was gonna say, I guess it, different shows lend themselves to different things. Maybe I'm answering my own question, but do you have a preference now? Because you've done, um, you've done movie musicals, you've done like now the the uh, TV musical, right? This eight episode yeah. TV musical. There are also pro shots, which is just you know recorded over multiple performances in the theater of a of a show. So, do you have a preference now? Obviously, pro shot isn't writing. That's right, just right. recording what's already there. But do you have a preference of? of now um taking a story and um is it easier for you did you find to do the the movie musical version like a tick tick boom or uh was this harder uh was up here harder because it was something new and different or you know something that i've already talked with with the lopez's amazing people by the way oh, yeah. and they were saying that something that they really loved about the tv format is that you can just like snap your finger and all of a sudden like the sets change, the costumes are there, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever, and then snap your finger, and then we're back to reality.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I think you know. I I think yeah, like you said, I think you answered your question in that different different projects lend themselves to different media. Um, there's definitely something. Uh, there's something uniquely challenging, I think, about it, about TV and musicals, which is why, which is which is why they're rarely undertaken. I I think it's, you know, musicals. As we discovered in the writing of this, Bobby and Kristen are such smart, intuitive, deep writers. They can't write uh, fake songs. They can't write things that aren't true emotionally, which is incredible. And what that means is that the story and the characters that you're writing have to be, have to always kind of reach a certain depth and achieve a certain authenticity before the songs can really take off. And, And I think what that means in TV is like, you can't really have an episode of this show where like Miguel's buying a pair of shoes, you know, as your main storyline, or or somebody's having a problem with a coworker at the office. Like, like everything kind of has to get to a really deep grounded level for the music to feel real and true and authentic, which I think that that was kind of the challenge of this, was like, how do we come up with stories every week, as it were, that rise to the level of song, you know, like like in a movie or in a musical, you you've pared down the story so much that you are only getting the essentials. So like it, it makes sense that you only that you're you're only getting the part of the story where the characters would sing. And this was trying to figure out like how do we week after week get to those moments. We're going to take a short break.
1: Stay tuned for more of the episode. Is they a, a or I guess, what is the difference for you in going to something like Dear Evan Hansen, where you've, you've written the, the book for the stage and you've written the screenplay and obviously two very different things because screenplays give you uh, a different kind of shot list. And obviously, like you just said, what, what I, why I brought this up is because what you just said is about, um, the stage production is, is just brought down to the bare minimum. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah and um allowing i guess giving yourself the freedom in in a screenplay to uh to expand on things and to add additional things you are able to direct the audience and and tell the audience exactly where to look at exactly what moment that's that's the part of the beauty of tv and film and why um, also, why on the contrary, why I love theater so much? Because you have to have so many other things to look at. You can decide, and that's why, like I love watching ensemble, right? Ensemble members in in theater productions because you know they're always in the back <laughs> doing whatever they're doing. Um, but I, I guess I'm trying to figure out what my question is here. I'm, <laughs> I'm saying like when you're when you're writing the differences, right? So you're taking up here, which is already a stage production, which was in theory already down to the bare minimum and you're trying to improve it you're trying to make it better you're adapting it um are you aside from the fact that like the stage production of up here originally when it was produced on stage what followed the just the male character the lead now we're following the female character and we're seeing the voices inside both of their heads which is a big difference yes like um was was it an easier pro is it an easier process to add elements back for movie and TV and because you're allowed to um, force the audience where to look or is it easier for you just to to do like a a, a book for a stage?
0: It's so interesting. You know, I think one of the big misconceptions that I certainly had before doing film and TV, you, you come from theater where you never have any money for anything, and you're sort of like, <laughs> I can't wait to get to film and TV when we'll yeah. be able to spend all the money and have everything we want. And what you soon discover is obviously the budgets are higher, obviously you have more resources, but in a way it's a double-edged sword because on stage you can actually do anything. You can show anything, you can accomplish anything in a very abstract way. And in film and TV, you have to things have to be a bit more literal, and so you actually have more limitations in some ways because you have to figure out what are you actually filming? What are you actually building? What is the set that you're going to look at? Versus on stage, you can have a blank stage like Shakespeare and have the whole world on the stage. So in a way, it kind of forces you to refine your vision even more, which is which is a, a big letdown <laughs> and a bummer. And also, you know, there's just something a, a bit relentlessly literal about the camera, you know, that it it, it it does force you to make those decisions. Specifically with Up Here, Bobby and Kristen from the beginning were very much of the mind um, that the, the stage show existed. It was, it was its own piece and that what we were gonna make was gonna be something totally different. So, So we actually didn't end up keeping much of anything from the original show aside from the concept And then we tried to find as many spots as possible to to put some of the original songs, which are incredible, in the show. But, but, you know, even the characters as they developed became very different people. So really, there's not a huge amount of overlap between the show and the show, (laughs) Um, which is, uh, you know, in in a way it became like creating an original uh, piece, which is, I think... Like, yes. Again, there are challenges, and there are also things that are, that are easier. You know, you're not beholden to anything. You don't feel the weight of anything, but you also like, you have a huge amount of freedom. And and I'm very grateful to Bobby and Kristen for for giving us that freedom and for giving themselves that freedom.
1: I think um, a lot of what makes can make or break a TV or film, um, a movie a movie um, presentation. Sorry, I think whatever can make or break a a TV or film musical is is also your DP, your director of photography. Because again, one of the advantages of the stage is you have the full picture. You don't have to look away. No one's making you cut away. And one of my biggest frustrations in some movies recently that, you know, something like ends with starts with cut and ends with ats, um, is that you never get a full picture for a long period of time of no. the full dance number. This beautiful choreography, which Sonia Taya's choreography in this thing, of course, is just incredible as well. As as unofficial showrunner or official but unofficially uncredited, I don't know. We'll call you the showrunner. The buck stopped with you. Yes. And uh, so, are you are you working? Are you telling the DP where to go, how to shoot, um, and then taking all of that footage into the editing room and saying like, "Don't cut here, don't cut here. We have to see this end to end sequence, this eight count, the sixteen count, because this is musical theater."
0: It's a really interesting question. I, you know, our DP was Ashley Connor, who's amazing. Um, and so I'm so glad that, you, that you're that you recognizing her work, uh, which is really superb. So much of the visual language of the show was established by Tommy, um, who directed the first two episodes. And as the person who directs the first episode, at least of a TV show, you have a huge role in setting what the the visual vocabulary of that show is gonna be. And so Tommy and Ashley had a huge number of conversations. Um, then the three of us had a lot of conversations. Then with Bobby and Kristen, we all talked a lot before any film was shot of, of how we wanted this to look, what we wanted this to feel like. Um, and Ashley someone who comes from the world of music videos. So she's someone who has an inherent musicality and inherent yeah. sense of, of rhythm and how the cut is gonna work. And Sonia is somebody who has choreographed for a lot of screen stuff. Um, So she also has a sense of what's gonna work for the camera. And then I think so much of it is the director who comes in for each episode then has their take. But I think in general, those first two episodes set a tone for what we wanted to accomplish. Um, and then so much of it is like based on, as with all creative pursuits, it's based on the constraints that you have, you know? And essentially on this show, each musical number, we had a day to shoot basic wow most we had one full day which which is short
1: <laughs> yeah <a> <laughs> wow it's uh, short yeah
0: and it was a huge challenge um,
1: like music videos that can take days
0: absolutely so for that, one like, song yeah that was hard um but it forced us to be really selective in what we were doing and really precise um and by we i include everyone on the creative team including ashley and what she was shooting but yeah i think you want it's really interesting because Fosse Verdon, like the research for that show taught me so much about the evolution of the movie musical or the screen musical in general. And before Bob Fosse, it really was, uh, you know, the, the convention was that in in screen musicals, you would show the entire number top to tails in one shot, usually like a wide shot, because the thought was that you wanted to see, you know, Fred Astaire or Ginger Rogers or both doing the actual number in real time, like almost like a magic trick. Like you don't want the audience to feel like they're being cheated. You want to see mm-hmm. the whole thing. You want to see their whole bodies. And then Bob Fosse came along and sort of chopped it all up in a way that had never been done where he was showing a hand or a foot or a snap. And and then I think since then we've kind of, you know, music videos then took that I think to, to a total huge extreme where like, there's so much cutting. Um, and I, I'm kind of just geeking out on the history of cinematography and these things, but I, I, I like in our show, I think we tried to find a medium always where you're getting to see the virtuosity of these performances, um, but you're also getting the intimacy that you're able to get um, on screen where you can really be up close with the performer and sort of living between those two worlds because the performances were really incredible on this series all around. And the dancers we got, you know, we had the best dancers in New York working on this show day in and day out. So we wanted to show as much of their work, obviously, as we could. Um, and and Sonia, like you said, is just incredible. And it was really fun to figure out. I, I think something I've learned in my experience of, of doing these, these uh, screen musicals is that each number has to be attacked individually. And each number has to be given a huge amount of consideration and a lot of dialogue i mean we would talk about uh you know in, in tv you do this in general but we had so many meetings um about every single number um with every department you know from from you know the dp to art direction um props like you you have to be incredibly precise because First of all, you never have enough time. even if you have five days, it's not going to be enough time. And you you can't um, you can't improvise these things. You can't like show up on the day and hope that magic strikes. Like it's there's too many moving parts. You have to really have a solid plan and then you just hit the ground running. And it's like you shoot for 12 hours, 14 hours, and it's just it's a sprint. You know, and by the time you're done, you still have more that you wish you could get, and the dancers are exhausted. Everybody's exhausted, and like, hopefully, you've gotten something. Um, but it's really it, it's a huge, fun um, and challenging puzzle.
1: I didn't think about uh, the way that music videos change things. Yeah, and and when when they brought that up, I, I it totally just clicked for me that yeah, you're absolutely right. And now now the long shot, the 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 non you know, the one shot is so rare to see absolutely. because it's just easier to do, you know, you you get your coverage and you cut from, from thing to thing. And, um, but I, I love, I love a good one shot. I love a good wide shot, but yeah, the evolution of cinematography, you're right. I I could geek out with it too. (laughs) Something else, something else that I geeked out on actually, I think it was the third or fourth episode. I forget which one, but the scene where, um, uh the they th- may throws uh miguel's backpack yeah. over the 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 fence in and they're sitting outside that rock yes, right yes and i was like where is there a giant rock in new york city and then i started so i was googling this yeah. trying to figure this out and there are all of these amazing rocks like there this. Are. so so did where did, did you find the locations for this who was your location scout Because, because I was, there's amazing, it's like it would cost more money to remove this rock than it, than the land value is of that unused space.
0: It's a super cool, you know, it kind of started in, in Kristen and Bobby's original stage musical, there's recurring references to a rock in Central Park. Basically, you know, so much of that show and, 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 and our show are, are sort of about like what it is to be a person and to have a brain and to have thoughts and feelings and, in that original show, they they kept contrasting that in a really fun way with this rock, and what does it mean to be a rock? Like to exist as a rock, and so that idea of a rock was like kind of always in my head. And as we were developing this character of Miguel, we kept circling around his obsession with, with minutia, you know, and with the world around him and with New York City, and that rock kind of came back to my head, and I started to do some research into rocks in New York. And I, I just discovered these weird rocks <laughs> that existed. Um, <laughs> that essentially, yeah, they're left over from the last ice age. Um, they're, you know, tens of thousands of years old. And they're just, they used to be covering Manhattan. And they, they're they mostly gone, but a few of them remain. And they're just kind of huge eyesores. Um, like, they're, they're really not attractive. Um, and I loved... That a character would see them and, and see the beauty in these things that have so stubbornly resisted the passage of time and, and resisted, like, sort of modernity. And the fact that, like, every square inch of, of this city is so valuable. And yet these rocks sit on this very valuable land, doing nothing, earning nobody any money. And I loved that. Um, the original rock that we had circled was there's one by Columbia in Morningside Heights but we couldn't get permission to film there so we found this other rock but we i think we had two other candidates um so there were a couple rocks and this was the one we thought was most photogenic but but yeah it was it was a lot of fun to to see that rock and like it was a weird thing that we we talked about in the writers room and like you know we saw pictures online and talked a lot about it and then like actually scouting that rock and seeing it for the first time was really cool cuz you were like oh yeah that works
1: was this your first project that you executive produced?
0: No, Fossey Verden. I I uh, was like kind of the co-showrunner of that. So this was the first one that I was I was the sole showrunner.
1: So the, okay, so the so, the sole showrunner. I guess what I was getting at was um, aside from just writing the screenplay or just yeah. lending lending pen to paper, um, the additional responsibility of basically being the boss of a production is is that something that you welcome or is it added stress or you know i'm so sorry i meant to say i'm sorry earlier that you're now making tv and film money because we were talking about the difference in budgets (laughs) so i'm so sorry you have that burden now too but um yeah so is it is it easy do you like it more to have that kind of creative control or is it just like sometimes you're like oh man i just i just want to sit down and write
0: well I I love it but it is it is a huge it is a huge amount of responsibility. I mean it's <laughs> as I always say to people it's like being a screenwriter in film is is weirder to me coming out of playwriting than than being a producer in TV like as a playwright you are there for the entire process. You know and you, and you have a voice in the entire process and people ask you for your opinion um about design and about casting and so the idea of not being involved the way that you often are in a film is, is foreign. Like that's the foreign thing. It's like you write the script, turn it in and goodbye, but definitely there's a level of responsibility in TV that is, it's compounded. It's much bigger than it is as a playwright. And I love producing. Like I love that part of the job, especially what was really a a luxury in this process, um, is we were able to write all of the scripts. And so by the time we were producing the show, that part, I was still rewriting every day and refining and, you know, making changes, but the bulk of it was done. And so that allowed me to really focus on the production versus usually in TV, you're doing both at the same time and editing. And like, that is exhausting
1: and very difficult. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode.
0: But, but getting to be on set every day and getting to, you know, getting to lead those conversations was was really exciting and really fun and really energizing. Um, and the team, you know, Tommy was part of all of those conversations and Bobby and Kristen were part of the conversations that they wanted to be a part of. Um, uh, like we didn't, we we tried to leave them out of the really mind-numbing stuff. Um, <laughs> but because uh, uh, I guess, you know, the, as a playwright, you're never, uh, nobody ever brings a budget to you as a playwright. Um, And in TV, they do. And that's a big difference. That's weirdly also something I I enjoy is um, the puzzle of no matter what show you are, no matter what budget you have, you're always over budget, and you're always uh, have too much to shoot. And you have to figure out how you're going to make it work within the schedule. And I kind of like the crossword puzzle of like, how are we going to make this work? And then I love uh, the other part of the process that's really amazing is is editing, which is um, something that is I, I think any writer would love because uh, it it feels like writing. You know, you're you're just kind of continuing to tell the story.
1: And also in editing for TV and film too, you have the chance to say like, oh, we need more space here. Let's go back and add a line. Let's get some ADR. Let's throw in a vamp here so we can add more. We can yeah that i guess in stage you can't can't well i guess you can do that but it's well again going
0: back to uh, to, apparently you know bob fossey was sort of ruined by the experience of doing um cabaret and he found (laughs) like from the from then on found it very difficult to go back to theater where you couldn't edit and the idea that you you know in editing you make it perfect you make it or at least you you make it final you know you finish it and and the cut that i sign off on is the same cut that you saw it's the same cut that my neighbor saw like it's always the same and theater there's that wonderful terrifying alchemy that every night is a little different and and for bob Fosse, he was such a controlling figure that was when he saw that it could be otherwise it was hard to go back
1: are you going to go back to stage do you think stage writing
0: yeah for sure i i mean i miss it a lot um i so i'm i'm very excited to get back to it
1: what are you working on now that you can't tell us about?
0: Uh, things I can't tell you about. <laughs> um,
1: <yeah. laughs> Hold on, let me turn off the microphone. Yes.
0: No, there but I'm, I, yes, there are things. There are things in the works that I'm, uh, you know, that are still very early. But I'm, I'm really excited to get back to, to the stage. I mean, there's nothing. There's really nothing like it, you know. As as much as I I love, film and TV, and I really do. There's still. There's still something about being in a rehearsal room putting on a play, you know, the same as I did when I was 13 years old that like I'll never I'll never get over that. I'll never be able to get away from that.
1: Oh, that that was another thing. Um that when we were talking about Tick Tick Boom in the previous episode, part 1. Yeah. Um that you did tons of rehearsal for tick tick boom because yeah. that's all lynn knew and lynn yeah. was directing yeah, yeah. And, and so did you do did you have the same luxury with like did did tommy kale want that for this did you have the same luxury in terms of timeline and budget for up here sort of
0: um we had some we we, we were able to get some rehearsal time um not a huge amount uh and basically we were able to borrow our two leads may and carlos for a couple weeks, like on and off, we were able to run through scenes together and like sort of hear things out loud. The real like kind of secret rehearsals that we were able to have, um, as I'm sure Bobby and Kristen talked about, is we actually recorded the entire score before we filmed anything. Yeah. Um, just because of the schedule. That's, that's how it made the most sense. So those became our kind of clandestine rehearsals for the entire series, because we had the actors coming into the studio and we were able to talk through the song moments and then the larger arcs um, and kind of really like refine character with them that way. And And then there was just rehearsal throughout the process. The dancers were rehearsing just about every day. And then, you know, our poor actors were going from, you know, filming to into those rehearsals where they would sort of quickly be shown, like where things had landed and incorporated and taught the moves and then back to the stage to keep filming. And so for them, it was a really it was a difficult process. You know, it was it was an all uh, all encompassing process.
1: That's fun. That's so fun. All right. Well, Everybody go to hulu.com, check the show notes for up here. We will have I'll have the link in there so you can check it out because you definitely need to. And uh, I'm going to ask you the same three questions that I asked last time that I asked everybody in the episodes. And I always love to see for returning guests if your answers have changed. Yeah. Um, the first question just simply is what motivates you?
0: Oh, what motivates me? Um, you know, the thing that motivated me on this and I think is still continuing to motivate me I, again, coming out of the pandemic, it was June 2020, when we started talking about the show, and we wanted to, we wanted to do something joyful. You know, we wanted to do something that we found joyful, that hopefully other people would find joyful, and we wanted to have fun. Like we wanted to get on, we were getting on Zoom every day for six hours to talk, and it was like, let's make sure that we're always having fun doing this. Otherwise, sort of, what's the point? And and so, I guess what motivated me on this, and I think is a good motivation, is like, what, what. what makes me excited, what makes me um, stir and like, want to get up and and keep working on this. So that's what's motivating me right now.
1: I love it. What advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path?
0: I bet I said this already, because I always say this, it was just like, to to immerse yourself in the thing that you want to do. Whether that's playwriting, TV writing, screenwriting, read as much as you can, see as much as you can, take every free ticket you can find, uh, borrow your friend's passwords to uh, various <laughs> streaming services, but not Hulu. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, become an expert in, in what you wanna do. Um, because I think that's how you find, by absorbing all that you can absorb, you you figure out where you, where you wanna be in that world. You figure out your voice, I think, by by, by listening to others' voices and, and finding where you belong.
1: Love it. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see?
0: It's, it sounds pretentious. I wonder if I said this the last time too, but Hamlet, I think, cause like, it's all, it's all in there. You know, it's, I mean, what's better than that
1: to be uh, or not to be.
0: It's so, I mean, it's just like, uh, it's so rich. Um, so, you know, I, I'm thinking I could get something out of it every night um,
1: that I had not hmm. see it. Cool. All right. Uh, and then you said before you're not on social media. Is that still there? Are you like yeah. are you on social media? I'm now am not at really all? On it. No. Okay. God
0: bless to those who are.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, find more of me at the theaterpodcast.com. Other episodes like this, including more episodes, all about up here with other creatives and cast. Uh, you can find me on TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram yeah it's all there and Stephen thank you again it's so nice to see you again nice to see you thanks for having me and now to finish off the episode again is the finale of Can I Ever Know You make sure to go listen to the soundtrack everywhere you stream your music I can never know